neglected, rejected, and unprotected. The sexual abuse of boys and men. Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing and deep insights. My name is Aaron Mashpitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Phil Mitchell joins the podcast this week, and Phil is a male sexual abuse specialist. And in this conversation, we talk about masculinity, we talk about boys, we talk about men, we talk about his book, The Sexual Abuse of Boys and Men. This is a really, really insightful and powerful conversation, and I urge you to really tune in to what we're saying. And in other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all of their products, and see which ones might work best for you and your wellness needs. Then once you get to check out, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 209 with Phil Mitchell. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Before we get into uh, all the good stuff and we really take off, I have a very important question to ask you, and that is, how are you doing? Like, actually, how are you doing? Uh, I'm full of cold. Uh, I, I have a slight allergy to dust, and it sometimes flares up, and I can never tell if it's my allergy to dust flaring up or if it's a cold. It might be a bit of both. So I'm, I'm a little bit nasally and a little bit more sniffy than I usually am. But do you know what? It's not the worst thing in the world. I can cope with it. I can deal with it. But yeah, I'm, I'm all good. I'm glad it's the weekend. And uh, yes, I'm, I'm good. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you, you being here with me. I'm very uh, interested to talk to you about some of my favorite subjects, uh, which include, you know, men, masculinity, how we can help young boys become the best version of themselves. And you do a lot in that work. Um, you recently wrote a new book um, called the, the Sexual Abuse of Boys and Men. And so I want to get into that. Um, but my first question for you really is, why Why did you get into this type of work? Um, is there well, a personal story? Yeah, I guess there's, there's the, I guess for me, when you said this type of work, there's, there's I guess two type, I guess you could say there's two types of work I do. So there's the the work with uh, boys and men who have been sexually abused as children, adults, sometimes both. That that can sometimes also come with physical abuse, domestic abuse, other types of abuse as well. But I guess the the side of sort of boys and men masculinity. Um, I guess there's there's a there's two different stories. So what got me into working with um, boys and men really was partly not not solely but partly my own experience of abuse I uh, I was um, violently abused by my mother when I was younger I was sexually abused at the age of sort of 16 which I didn't really realize until I was a lot older and um, when I was uh, just before my 21st birthday I was raped and um, uh, so there was a, quite a lot of horrible things there um, and that's what really prompted me to some degree to, to really want to work with boys and men who'd been sexually abused. Uh, you know, I, I could see the issues that they were facing. And for about nine years, I ran a service that worked with boys who had been sexually abused or sexually exploited, but who were also uh, assessed as being at risk of experiencing sexual abuse and exploitation or in some ways not assessed as being at risk when they should have been but that's a, another story and um, and through that work I've, I saw very very quickly just that 
boys and young men were getting an absolute raw deal when it came to uh, the support they they were getting or, or not getting. And then that led me into being open to all the other disadvantages that boys and, and men were, were facing. That led me down a path to kind of explore boys and men and masculinity and things like that. And I'll be honest, I was very much of the the the, the school of thought that well, masculinity is one hundred percent a social construct, and it's bad and it's terrible and it's ruining boys and men. And we just need to be more emotional, open up more. And I rigidly thought that. And it was when I realised that some of the boys and men that I were working with, actually quite a lot of them, they weren't responding to what you might call that traditional approach where you focus very much on emotions. And I changed my approach ever so slightly and I thought I was doing something bad and I thought I was doing something wrong. But some of the boys and men I were working with were kind of responding to it quite well. So then I looked at all the literature that came out and all of the research and a lot of it, I didn't realise how much there was out there. And I thought, why have I not, why have I not, heard about this research before why has nobody told me this and i concluded that it's maybe because there are groups of people that don't want us to know about this and i thought what's that about but when i kind of read the literature i thought actually it's not nature or nurture it's nature and nurture both of them have an influence and when i read all the literature and the psychological research and things i thought actually my view on masculinity radically changed and i could see that actually using elements of what some psychologists call archetypal masculinity and i'm talking about psychologists such as john barry martin seeger have done some great work in this area i thought using those elements of masculinity can actually help boys and men overcome abuse and so i thought this and that kind of can work together really well and i i radically changed the wording on my website and my advertising and i was less come to therapy, it's okay to be vulnerable, talk about your emotions, and much more tackle your problems, take control, solve your problems, find a solution. And when I changed the wording, I saw a significant increase in boys and men coming to therapy and being referred. So that's, I guess, a little bit about my background and where I am. Beautiful. I have I have a ton of questions about that, but I want to sort of circle back to your uh, one of your initial statements was, was about exploitation and abuse. What is the difference between those two things? Well, I mean, that's so some would say there isn't really much of a difference. Some would say that, you know, there's a so legally, uh, so set, general in general terms, so the Department for Education, for example, here, they they define uh, sexual exploitation as it, it's needs and wants being exploited. So if a young person needs something or wants something, they will get what they need or want, or they will believe that they'll get what they need or want in exchange for some sort of sexual abusive act. Uh, that is a type of sexual abuse that I doubt. Sexual abuse that doesn't have an exploitative element to it, and it could be argued that maybe all types do, and that's why there's such a massive overlap. Sexual abuse, there's, there's other types where there's there's no what we call grooming. There's no uh, manipulation. There is not always um, an identification or a need or a want. It could quite... Uh, it, it could quite simply be you've got one perpetrator who grabs another person and does that to them. So there can be massive overlap, uh, but the, it can also be very different. But I think sometimes I say it, it, I'm not always sure it matters from a legal point of view. Um, it, it you know the legal definition of sexual exploitation 
Um, it, it is all about that kind of exchange, you know, the abuse in terms of something that that young person needs or wants. Um, and years ago, not too long ago, uh, in the Sexual Offences Act in the UK, the actual offence was called child prostitution. And rightly, lots of people were up in arms going, well, you can't have, there's no such thing as a child prostitute. That 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 child has been abused. And so uh, the wording changed. So the, the definition from a legal point of view uh, shows that the wording of child prostitution has basically changed to child sexual exploitation. Mm. And what have you found as the reason why people neglect or disregard uh, a young boy or a man getting exploited or abused there's loads of reasons uh, i think in very simple terms we 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 think we live in a world sometimes where we have to oversimplify things to function to live to understand things not always of course but in some ways we do and i think the, the answer to your question is in my view we just don't care about boys as much hmm. you could even say we don't care about boys at all there's a wealth of literature out there to show how boys are struggling in education how sometimes men are struggling in in the workplace uh mental health suicide issues to drugs and alcohol and we we i'm not saying we don't care at all but we care significantly less compared to girls and the only reason and the only time we generally focus on boys and focus on the fact that they're boys we we focus on them a lot more when they are doing harm compared to experiencing harm and one of the, the the things that i often say i'm not saying girls and women have got it easy i'm not saying that at all of course there are issues affecting girls and women and at the same time a huge amount of funding goes into tackling those issues in in comparison it doesn't when we go into it's issues affecting boys and men and what we know also from my experience and my experience is supported by a lot of the research, the literature, the practice of the people. When it comes to to sexual abuse of any kind, uh, boys and men are less likely to be identified by professionals. They are less likely to recognise the abuse. They are less likely to disclose the abuse. They are less likely to engage with services. And even if they manage to get through all that, they are less likely to be taken seriously. Mm. So... Barrier after barrier after barrier after barrier. Now, the question really could be is, why, what are we doing about that then? Right. And the answer is nothing. Perhaps that's not fair. Perhaps the answer is very little <laughs> in comparison to what we're doing for girls and women. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing things for girls and women at all. I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm saying we, should, we shouldn't be kind of shining a spotlight on girls and women while leaving boys and men in the dark. And what we do is when we talk about boys and men, we talk about them more as potential perpetrators rather than potential victims or potential uh, individuals who are harmed and disadvantaged. And I think that, that that's the thing. It's a, a psychological con concept that, again, Martin Seeger and John Barry have created called gamma bias, where you magnify gender differences, where a, a girl or a woman is is uh, experiencing harm, you'll focus on the fact that she's a girl or a woman experiencing harm. A boy or a man experiences harm, you either don't address it, or if you do, you don't focus on the gender as much. And again, it's that bias, but you will focus on the gender if the boy or the man is doing something harmful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can see gamma bias play out really well if you read the headline of articles. Absolutely. Only this morning I tweeted, tweet, do we call it Twitter? Tweet? I don't know. I, can't, I just can't bring myself to call it X. I'm just, don't, <laughs> don't ask me to call it X. I just can't bring myself to it. Uh, but um, 
yeah, this morning I uh, there was an article, and I think you know when when you read the headline, it said, you know, this this perpetrator has been sentenced to so many years in prison for abusing X number of children. And when you read it, you got to really read it. It's towards the end. It's like something that sixty four boys he abused, and going back, so it's there in the in the body of the text. But I believe that there would be an increased likelihood of that headline not saying children but saying girls if it was 64 girls. And I think that's the thing. We really focus on the gender when it's girls being harmed, but we minimise the gender and imply perhaps that it's nothing to do with, with gender when it's boys. And there's the bias again. Yeah. Like one of the issues that I, that I have a big problem with specifically when having these types of conversations like you just did, we feel like sort of inclined to mention the caveat that if we talk about boys and and how they're struggling and all of these things that we have to mention girls, we have to mention that we do love yeah. and care for them. But it, it sort of reduces the point that we're trying to make that boys are struggling immensely. It doesn't take away from anything else, but having to like catch myself every time I want to talk about masculinity because I coach youth sports. So I'm around young boys all the time and I see that they're struggling and thank God for sports. At least that's what I think helps them. You know, um, there's a lot of stuff behind that, but whatever. Like, so anytime I have a conversation on this podcast, I feel like I have to have an asterisk next to everything that says, but I still do care about women. I obviously care about women. Uh, That's like never been a question for me. I think if we encourage young boys and young men to take care of themselves and to not be neglected and to have healthy masculinity and to all of these things that we're going to talk about, we're just better partners for our female counterparts if we're if we're that sort of uh, sexual orientation. Um, and so I think that sort of really rubs me the wrong way. And and I know we feel like we have to do it, but it's just challenging, right? Absolutely. And 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 I think I've kind of done it in, in our discussion already. I've kind of mentioned, oh, you know, I'm not saying girls and women have got it easy. And there is, I think, you, but I think one of the reasons for that, and I'm not saying we should always do it all, but we shouldn't always do it. I think there's loads of other contextual factors to consider. Uh, but I think one of the reasons that I certainly sometimes, not always say it, and I know that um, other people who who um, speak up about boys and men's issues and the abuse of boys and men, the reason they say it is because they're fed up with the verbal, vicious attack that they get if they are talking about boys and men, male victims and masculinity without mentioning girls and women. And there is a belief by some, perhaps many, you could even argue, that if you are going to go on stage and speak to a conference hall to loads of people and you're going to talk about boys and men, male victims and masculinity without mentioning girls and women and female victims, that means you are a misogynist, and you hate girls and women, which is completely irrational. It's a huge assumption. And for me, I think turn it on its head. So so if you have someone on stage talking about violence against girls and women and femininity or support for girls and women, it would be unthinkable to be saying, well, you haven't mentioned male victims. So you obviously, you know, and so I think why is it sort of more okay one way and not the other way? And I think it is sometimes that narrative that some people promote to say, well, if you are silent on an issue, it means that you you don't care about it. No, it doesn't doesn't mean that at all. I've been, you know, we've been speaking for twenty minutes or so. I haven't spoken to you about um, donating to the cats' home. Does that mean I hate cats? Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's just it's just not there. It's not been brought in. So it just, 
And so I think, yes, it is a shame that sometimes we feel we have to say that, but there is so much um, vicious hatred sometimes and so much assumption, so much verbal criticism and, and attack if you talk about boys and men that sometimes you have to put that in there. I don't think we should, and I can understand why people do it, but I can understand why some people would also think, I'm not going to do that because this is a focus on boys and men. Yeah. Yeah, I have a hard time with it. Like, I think maybe if you're like at the top of the podcast, like kind of what we did, this episode is mostly going to be about boys and men. Yes. We're not going to mention females anymore because it's not focused on them, but we still yeah. do care about them. Come back for a later episode, right? So maybe yeah. that's what we do. And then we just get into our thing. But I found like the most, the people who are talking about masculinity and the nurturing and the care of our young men is mostly women because- they have these people in their life who they see have brought light and joy or their fathers, their husbands, their sons, whatever. They want to talk about this stuff. They want to talk about caring for young boys and seeing them grow into these people that have benefited their life. And I think that's an important nugget for, you know, just the overall culture around masculinity, because then if, if young boys see that, they're like, okay, then to, people do believe in me. There is something that I can strive towards. Um, because, uh, you know, as we know, the, the, the phrase toxic masculinity has been throwing, has been thrown out all over the place, you know, and, um, I've seen some of the research of what that phrasing, you know, does to men and their mental health. But, you know, what have you seen on that? I think we might have seen the same research. So again, John Barry's research from a few years ago, he, I think it was just over 4,000 men that he interviewed and, and I can't remember the percentage split, but I think, you know, the, the majority of them had said that they, they didn't think, or they, they thought the term toxic masculinity was harmful, not very helpful uh, with most people saying, well, if you are blaming my masculinity or femininity for my problems, that's not going to make me want to engage with you. And I've certainly worked with a number of uh, boys and men where they, they saw a previous therapist or, or a previous professional of some sort who said things like, well, because you're part of the patriarchy, how can we, how can that help you overcome your abuse? Oh, that sounds like toxic masculinity to me. And I think again, you, 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 you don't talk about toxic femininity, toxic masculinity. And some people go, well, we're not saying masculinity is toxic. We're saying it can be toxic. I went, well, well any, anything can be displayed in a harmful, toxic manner. Of course it can. But the thing itself is just the thing. So Martin Seeger, I keep talking about Martin and John. If they're listening to this, they should be on paid 10% maybe. But, uh, Martin Seeger, who, who, who had a great metaphor, and I have to mention because this is his metaphor, not mine. He says, he said something, he went, masculinity is like a hammer it can be used to build a house to help people it can be used to whack someone in the head and kill them mm. the hammer is just the hammer how it's used is more about that person and that's very similar the masculinity is just the masculinity how elements of that are displayed or used doesn't mean the masculinity is bad it means it's that person using masculinity in a helpful or unhelpful way so then it leads to the question well what actually is masculinity and that's that might be a very interesting question for me i think it's a lot of it starts with biology it's influenced by environment all of that and it's those traits it's those behaviors it's the archetypes that are in on average generally speaking boys and men it doesn't mean they're bad or that they're harmful um you know you, you can you can talk about traits that you generally see more in girls and women and they can be displayed in a harmful way, but it doesn't mean they themselves are harmful. But I think, as you've, you've alluded, we hear a lot more about toxic 
masculinity than anything else. And if you replace the word masculinity with any other, the, the essence of any other demographic, oh, they'd be outraged. And quite rightly so. But when it's about boys and men and masculinity, there's less outrage. And I think it, we, you know, boys and men have become society's socially acceptable collateral damage. And we're not. And thankfully, there are more men speaking up and women as well, as you've said, saying this isn't right. We need to stop this. But we still need more people to, to fight the fight. We still need more people to speak up about it. And we still need to tackle these issues when we hear them and see them. And, and more people are. But I think we need a lot more. Yeah. I mean, the, the toxic masculinity phrase implies that you, if you have masculine energy, you are inherently toxic and there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. And that messaging is like extremely harmful because the people who are hearing that are the young people who are on TikTok, the Gen Z people who are very impressionable on TikTok. And if I'm like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, which I don't think they should have a smartphone anyways, but that's a whole nother subject, uh, are hearing this and they're, they think to themselves, oh, I'm I'm a young boy, so I'm inherently bad. Yeah, and, and I've had, I, I've had, it was, was it last year, earlier this year? I've had a, a, a few sort of examples where uh, teenagers have, have either messaged me on Twitter, they've sent me an email, or in therapy, they, they've more or less said, am I bad because I'm a boy? Mm -hmm. And that just breaks your heart. Yeah, like, it does. Why would you ask that? Where would you, oh, well, my teacher said this, or my auntie said this, or I saw this on the news, or there was this thing, and all of that. And I'm like, well, okay. Well, and, and ultimately, even those people that are saying, well, when we say toxic masculinity, we don't mean all masculinity is bad. I went, all right, well, if you don't, even then, the fact that it's used so often, rightly or wrongly, boys are hearing my masculinity is bad. My masculinity is part of who I am. And it, it contributes to my identity. So that means I am bad. There's something in me that's inherently bad. No, not at all. You're just, you, you're just hearing ideological, narrow-minded, prejudiced, misandristic things that need to be to be challenged. And ultimately, you could you could rather than demonizing boys and having a go at them for thinking, oh. You've said toxic masculinity. They, they, rather than demonising them for thinking that you're saying they're bad, what about just changing your language so it's so it's a little bit more logical, less ideological, and less sort of hatred for the boy. We're seeing things in schools as well where oh, we are going to teach um, boys in our school the concept of male privilege. We are going to be teaching boys about toxic masculinity. We are, you know, we are going to be um, teaching boys about how to respect girls and women. And I'm fine with that. But what about teaching girls and women how to respect boys as well? It, it's not just a one way street, because what you're doing is you're focusing on boys and men as potential perpetrators and girls and potential victims. And this is these, these are from schools that are going, we will combat gender stereotypes. Are you kidding? You're promoting one of the biggest stereotypes out there by only focusing on boys as potential perpetrators. And you've not seen the irony in what you're doing. But again, when it's to do with anything that criticises boys and men for being boys and men, then they, they're blinded by the ideology, I think. Yeah. And we're just missing the most crucial piece of masculinity, which is which is developing these these competent, capable, compassionate, caring boys or young men developing that like that's the essence of what you know i think masculinity i don't know if you're a star wars fan but i think of it sort of as a jedi right. and right because they're these like calm cool collected individuals they have so much love for the people that are in their care 
so much love, but they have a capacity for violence, but they only use it when absolutely 100% necessary. Other than that, they're like, they're in their Zen, they meditate, they breathe, they have the sense of, of one minute in power, but they have a lot of love to give. They know how to share beauty. Um, and so I think that's what we should be trying to develop our young boys to be. Um, but if we keep calling them toxic, anytime they try to do anything, they try to go for something, they try to try this, they try to talk to a woman or whatever the case may be is they just get shut down and, and that's no good. It could, it could be argued though, that we don't need to try and make boys that because most of them are that. Mm. And, 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 but what we're doing is where some of us are promoting this narrative that no boys and men are like this. They are like that. They, 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 they do this. They say that. Uh, you know, uh, they are potential abusers in the making. Uh, you know, they, 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 data is quoted that's basically incorrect data. Uh, the uh, one of the ones that I often hear a lot is, oh, 97% of girls and women have experienced sexual harassment. So that obviously means 90% of boys and men are sexual harassers. No, it doesn't at all. I mean, first of all, it, you know, there's there's multiple offenders. You know, one person can commit various acts and all of that. The actual report that I'm mentioning there is from the UN, and the data relates to just over a thousand women, which is a is a fraction of a percentage of women on the planet. And you can't kind of take that and apply it to all women. And the definitions of sexual harassment were so broad that they, they kind of went from a joke or staring or looking at someone and offering a drink to something a little bit more extreme. Well, that, that's, a, you know, in that case, uh, boys and men have also experienced that, but you're not asking them. And so I think it's, and, and even then the 97% the statistic was wrong. It was 86% and they had to put an error out saying we got it wrong. But of course the newspapers go with 97% and many of them don't bother to go back and uh, highlight the correction. Uh, so it's just, I think anything that certain misandrists, misandrists can grab hold of to, to say, look, look how bad boys and men are. We'll use this to generalize boys and men. It's like, but the vast majority of boys and men are not these horrible, abusive, terrible, monstrous perpetrators. They, like girls, most girls and women are pretty decent. Most boys and men are pretty decent. And so, but but that's just a narrative that people don't like to hear. But it's the reality, really, in my view. Yeah. Hmm. There was a, I think you saw, I think I saw this on your Twitter as well, but um, Billie Eilish recently said that uh, the thing about her weight and her body um, you know, boys don't get, you know, made fun of or critiqued on their body because girls are nice. Um, <laughs> and I just thought that was funny because I I used to be a professional wrestler, Phil. And so I basically paraded around in my underwear for like six, right. seven years. And my body dysmorphia was wildly unhealthy. And the way we speak to each other, the way fans would talk about our bodies, because we're putting ourselves out there. So I understand I'm putting myself in that environment to get judged. That's the whole thing. But um, boys and especially those who are, you know, trying to figure out their body and, you know, present themselves in the best way possible, have this very uh, disordered sense of of their body. And I think saying that overall is, uh, again, is, is detrimental to to young boys who may feel that way as well. Yeah, I think again, it's 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 that whole oh well, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't think you know sweeping statements that girls are nice, and and I don't know this who this Billy person is. I've never I've never heard of this Billy person. I didn't know it was just the comment. 
um, that it was like, well, hang on a minute. And, and I think this Billy person was bombarded with loads of comments going, loads of headlines showing how boys and men are also uh, criticised for how they look. You know, we the, the phrase mum bod is not really a phrase, is it? The phrase <laughs> dad bod is, and it's not a very uh, complimentary phrase. I'm not, again, yes, you know, girls and women, they've got, but they can, again, to say, oh, well, we don't really criticize boys and men for how they look. Yes, we do. We do it all the time. Massive. There are Facebook groups specifically dedicated to criticizing boys and men on their appearance you used to have uh what was it heat magazine or whatever that's called the red ring of shame and it would focus in on people's oh they've got a beer belly there they've got a sweat patch there isn't that terrible i'm like no it's human life what, what are you on about but then when they were said oh but you're doing it to women that's misogyny right i've got to stop doing that and for a while well, we carry on doing it to men then that's okay and again, this whole body shaming, this terrible stuff, and it was a case of, no, that the, there's lots of um, criticism out there in terms of, of of people's looks, and people can be quite cruel to, to men and women and from men and women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned earlier at the top your, your um, early view of masculinity was very rigid. Mm. Uh, where did that come from? Was that just from upbringing, from society, from your environment? Uh, do you know what? I, I, that's a good question. I don't know where it came from. I think I was, um, well, I kind of, I spent a lot of my time around, um, so I'm a, I'm a, a gay man and I spent a lot of my time around in a sort of gay youth group and all that. And I think that there was, there was a lot of stuff there that was very critical of men and that men generally are bad and men need to be better and all of that. And I guess I'm, I'm not proud of myself, but I'm a bit ashamed to say that, you know, I perhaps was part of, of that mentality going, oh, well, I'm a gay man. So that's very different to men in general and so on. But then as the older I got and the more research I read and, as I've said, more literature, I kind of thought, well, actually, society, government, the media and all of that will love me and care about me and, and really champion me as a gay man. But as a man, oh, God, no, I'm hated. And so it's almost like, well, hang on a minute. No, no, that's, that's no, you know, I, yeah, I might be a, a gay guy, but actually... I'm I'm a man first, and and that's a, a part of my identity, and I don't want to be hated or demonised because of that. And if I am, you're going to be challenged on that. So I think a lot of it came from that whole well, media as well. You know, oh well, masculinity is bad. This is bad. This is bad. this is what masculinity is. But what I was doing is I was only looking at that rigid, extreme example of masculinity that was displayed harmfully. So big six foot muscular bodybuilder type guys beating people up. Mm. And it was like, well, well, that, 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 that's not the only, but that's not masculinity. That, that's, that's, that's masculinity being displayed in a harmful way. If you've got a big six foot muscular guy, You've got a big six, 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 six. That's it. Doesn't mean he's an abuser. Doesn't mean he's violent. You know, he's got he's got it in him because he's got the muscle. But it doesn't mean he's going to use it to harm anyone. Chances are, he's probably going to use it to help people. And if you look at, is it Joey Swall? Is that his second name? I can't. Remember. The guy on uh, Twitter. He's brilliant, isn't he? He's a big six, you know, muscular guy and all that. But he's a lovely guy. He challenges all this hatred that's out there, and so. You know, I think that that was it. And so I, when I started to read the literature and I started to, um, you know, look at what the science was saying, there was there was so much of it and most of it 
presented consistent conclusions and consistent findings. And I thought, I can't argue with any of this. How some people interpreted all of that is, is an interesting point. But I thought, well, actually, hang on, there's, there's too much information here for me to logically believe that masculinity is just a social construct. There's too much information there. There's, there's, and so I did. I thought it was just a social contract. The message is that the TV, the media, society, upbringing gives to boys and men. It's all to do. That's what shapes masculinity and all of that. And and that plays a part. Of course it does. But then when I read all the literature, the research, I like, hold on, biology hasn't really plays a part here. And it made so much sense that I thought, I can't carry on holding on to this view that I have in any logical way when there's so much credible, consistent, varied science that all shows me those those facts. So I changed my way of working. I kind of um, adopted a different way of being, I guess, and I changed how I work and my advertising, and it, it really had a significant impact. Yeah. Man, I, I've, I've come to learn, like, being sort of in the mental health masculinity space for a few years now that we're we're a sort of action oriented people and yes. that's what we need when it comes to overcoming our trauma or trying to heal we need we need something to to grab onto yes it's it's important to express ourselves and to have those sort of vulnerable moments but that's not like that's not it like for yeah. someone else for a female potentially that could get them to the place where they feel healed and they feel energized and they feel healthy again but we, yes, we should express how we feel. Of course, that's very important. But there also has to be something, something that we can grip onto to say, this is this is what I'm moving towards. This is my action. Um, yeah. At least that's for me has always been very helpful. Uh, and, and and you know, I think and, and I agree with you. And I think we're talking about average differences. It's not it's not about saying that's what all men are like and right. that's what how all men should be. It's just average differences between men and women. And the average differences are that you know, it's certainly therapy. On average, men want to do more, more action-oriented stuff, and, and, and women want to do less and do more sort of emotional stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. What is wrong with that is when you have therapists and other professionals assuming that because this works with women, it should work with men. And I thought that for a long time. And I, again, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I, I did say, well, there's something wrong with these boys and men. Why, why aren't they engaging properly? Why aren't they opening up? Why aren't they expressing their emotions? Why aren't they doing what all these girls and women are doing? And uh, I was like, there's, there's no massive differences between men and women. No, no, no. And then I read the science. It's like, actually, yeah, there are more similarities than differences between males and females, but there are some average sex differences and they can be significant in terms of how we behave. And when I had all these boys and men telling me they wanted to do something, they wanted action, I was thinking, I'm going back now 15 years or so, I was thinking, oh gosh, why can't you just sit? And why can't you just be in the moment and experience your emotions? Why can't you just be right? And, and I thought, actually, no. If they're telling me they don't feel comfortable with that approach, if they're telling me I've tried and I don't like it, then what's wrong with abandoning that, abandoning that rather, and adopting a more solution-focused, action-orientated approach? Nothing. It's not illegal. It's not dangerous. It's not unsafe. It's not unethical. It's just a different way of working. And if it contributes towards going down a path that gets that guy to a positive outcome, isn't that what really matters? Yeah. Rather than, yes, but you didn't let him sit there and express his emotions. Well, 
maybe I did, just not in that, not in a way that usually works with girls and women, you know. And I think that's the thing. It's you know, I remember one guy I worked with, and um, you know, when you train to be a therapist, they teach you a lot about empathy and empathic reflections, and and he was saying, you know, oh, yeah, I really want to tell my wife that I was abused, but I just can't, and it's really, really, you know, I feel like I should, but I can't, and I want to, but I can't. And 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 I was sort of being that you know stereotypical empathic response would be something like, so what I'm hearing there is that you know you you feel really this is really intense feeling inside and part of you is saying that there's this urge to really do this and then another part of you is kind of going no no don't it's like there's this really internal conflict and and I guess it feels like you're there your wife's there and there's this barrier between you know I'm just wondering what that barrier might be and this guy turned around to me and said why don't you just ask me why whoa i feel totally out of my comfort zone i've been totally attacked here i thought oh my god this no what and if you think about it if i'd have said to him why my training you can't do that it's too blunt it's too direct it might have connotations of blame attached to it i know but rather than spending 20 seconds to to be kind of asking him why can't you tell your wife? What is that barrier? I've gone round the houses. I've empathised with him. I've seen it from his point of view. I've reflected back his thought processes and his emotions, which is what we are often taught to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. If it works with people, that's fine. But he was telling me, well, if I answer your, if, if I respond to what you've just said, I'm going to be telling you why I can't feel, why I feel like I can't talk to my wife. If you just turn around to me and ask me why, it's more direct. We're getting on with it. And I like that. And, now I'm like, actually, a lot of boys and men like that. They want that direct approach. They want to kind of say, don't kind of go around the eyes. There's nothing wrong with feelings, emotions, and being empathic and displaying empathy at all. There is something wrong with A, over-relying on it, and B, assuming that, that an approach that focuses predominantly on that should work for everybody, different things for different people. Yeah, I mean, I think the mark of a really um... – quality therapist is seeing the individual for who they are and, you know, building that trustworthy relationship and finding the best way that works for them based on, you know, your training and your specialties, but, you know, not trying to have this cookie cutter approach. It's the same way that I try to coach my young players. If I talk to all of them the same way and half of them have no clue what I'm saying and I just say, oh, it's your fault. I'll keep saying it the same way. I'm the bad coach because I can't, tweak my language a little bit, say the same thing, get to the same point, but like tweak it a little bit, adjust it a little bit, say it a different way, maybe get down to their eye level, whatever the case may be is, then that makes me a quality coach or someone who's actually caring about the people that I'm talking to rather than trying to just get where I'm trying to get. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something about, uh, you know, what, what I call um, sort of reframing with the masculinity. So, you know, the, the you know, if, if someone comes to therapy and he says, uh, oh, you know, I feel like I'm really weak, I'm really pathetic, I, you know, I don't really want to be here, I don't think I should be here, I should be able to deal with my problems myself, and and me coming here just shows that I'm not in control and and I'm just really weak. And I'm, you know, you you know, empathize with that, you validate some of those emotions and and then maybe go, and I'm wondering, is there a different way of looking at that? Perhaps, oh, what do you mean? Well, I guess, you know, you, you, you're here and you don't really want to be here. So you've taken yourself out of your comfort zone and put yourself in a position that doesn't feel comfortable to you in an attempt to try and confront your problems, tackle your problems, 
and take control of them. That to me sounds like that's taking strength and resilience. There's mm-hmm. no weakness there. What are you? And so ultimately, you're using those elements. And, and Martin Seeger talks about the the archetypal elements of masculinity being sort of fighting and winning, providing and protecting, and and sort of control and mastering your emotions. And those archetypes are often really criticizing they're really really bad but all of those archetypes can be can be present in a really useful helpful way Uh, and so certainly in therapy i've certainly found that using those and that sort of language that either action oriented language or the movement as well can really help boys and men engage in the process yeah that's a really that's a really beautiful sort of reframe there i think that's why you know these men's groups that have been popping up everywhere which are which are fucking incredible they usually have something to do with being outside, doing something active, yeah. but it always leads to a conversation. It always yeah. leads to where the guys sit down and they actually open up, but they've done yeah. something with their hands. They've moved around. They've yeah. been outside in nature. Then they've connected with each other and some brothers like guys they met two hours ago, but they feel like in the trenches. Yeah, yeah. And now they're talking about how you know they haven't had sex with their partner for a couple of years. And they're wondering how they can get this intimacy back and like things they haven't shared with anyone, not even their partner. And yeah. so like- that's how it sort of, I think, is the beauty of it all. And that's really what you're referring yeah. to. Absolutely. So on my, you probably can't see, and I don't want to move my camera because it might switch itself off. It's a bit, but on my <laughs> little table behind me, uh, on it, there's a fidget cube. There's there's like a plasticky thing that presses bubbles in and out. There is uh, a slinky. There's another sort of fidget cube. And some of the boys and men that I will see, again, sitting there opposite someone, eye contact, neutral face, not moving. It can feel very uncomfortable. Mm. And so um, one of the things I will say, I'll go, do you know what? If it feels a little bit weird and a bit uncomfortable sitting there and you, you might feel this need to move and, and whatever, I would just pick one of them things and start faffing about with it. And I remember, well, there's been a few guys, but one in particular stands out where he would go, yeah, no, don't know. And I just get nothing out of him. I'd get, okay. And so it was the slinky and he had the slinky in it. I went, he go, pick that And he was sitting there and it was a bit noisy, but we dealt with that. And he was sitting there with the slinky, doing all of that, playing around with it. He would not stop talking. He was talking, talking, talking. And I honestly believe it was because he's doing something with his hands. The doing also helped him feel at ease. He felt comfortable. He felt the urge to move, to take action, to move. And that movement helped him be in that process and talk about why he was there and what he wanted to get out of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you used to say, oh, it's fidgeting. Well, call it fidgeting if you want. But is it harmful? Is it hurting? Is it hindering any part of the process? No. Well, then let it go. Mm. Yeah. So what, what would you do? What, what, did, uh, what steps would you take, um, sort of in society to, to further develop this healthy version of masculinity or this innate version of, of masculinity? Um, uh, oh gosh, that's a big question. Money, <laughs> money, need money, need funding. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, so that there would certainly need to be some funding, uh, to, to have campaigns to address it. I think we'd need national campaigns. Uh, again, to my knowledge, I might be wrong, but to my knowledge, there's never, ever been a, a national campaign here in the UK that focuses very much on male victims, the abuse of boys and men, all of that. And, you know, there's been little ones and localized ones, but not on being national and funded by government. So that would be useful. And it'd be great if that language could have... Uh, sorry, if, if such a, a campaign could have male-friendly language, tackle your problems, take control of your life, that sort of thing, you know, male-friendly language, action-orientated language, that would be useful. Whether that'll ever happen, 
I have no idea, but that would be great. I think, uh, and, and and it's International Men's Day here in the UK in a couple of days. Well, it's kind of everywhere, isn't it? But uh, the the uh, we don't have a minister. We have a minister for women and equalities, uh, who interestingly was involved in a, a recent uh, discussion about getting certain initiatives into school that that really did lean towards you know bigotry towards boys which i have a real problem with uh, but again a minister for men if we had a minister for men that would be a really great representative to talk about boys and men and to actually uh kind of promote this healthy realistic sound uh version of masculinity mm-hmm. that that it, it is more credible i think rather than this toxic masculinity narrative uh I think changes to legislation would be really useful as well. And again, that whether that's going to happen ever in, in my lifetime, I don't know. There are people that have tried, but that would be be really, really useful. Um, I think education in schools is a key thing. So getting people into schools that don't promote this toxic masculinity narrative, that don't, whether they know it or not, imply that we don't want girls to be victims and we don't want boys to be perpetrators. Just teach respect to everybody. In you know, yes, you might want to teach how gender plays a part and say you know what can go on and all of that, but don't go into schools teaching boys to just be respectful and teaching girls that you need to be respected. Teach girls and boys about respecting each other, and if you're not, what to do? Rather than this rigidly gendered narrative that's not helpful. So there's just a few starters, but I think there's many, many more and many other people, more academics and researchers probably have more to say on that than I would. But I think, you know, that we, we do need to do a lot more. We need to talk about it more. We need to shine a light on this sort of thing a lot more than we can when we are doing. Yeah, I mean, that's a- a- absolutely right. I think the role model piece for young boys is extremely important. So we have to be able to highlight the the role models we wish that our young boys to grow up to because they're they're just sponges. They're just going to um, embody the traits that they see being acted out, whether that's good or bad, right? And so if we can uplift these positive role models through the media, social media, whatever, our teachers, our coaches, our fathers, whatever that is, that's an important piece um, for uh, for a, d- a developing young man, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think the thing is when, when whenever there is anything positive about boys and men, it, it, it's, it's really interesting because – there seems to be this whole, oh, we'll, we'll celebrate boys and men when they are embracing what we might call femininity, traditional feminine, traditional feminine traits, where, and, and again, there's, you know, that happens and whatever, you know, but, but I think for me, it's like, well, what about celebrating boys and men when they are displaying what we might call more traditional or more scientifically accurate archetypal masculine traits, and if those traits are not being displayed in a horrible, harmful way, why can't we celebrate that as well? But it just seems to be anything that is like that we can't celebrate because that's really, really bad. Why is it? Why? It's just such distorted thinking uh, that, that, that just crumbles in the face of logical science. And so I think, you know, we do need more role models. And I think we, we need more. We need we need good, uh, steady role models. But the, I think often when you talk about role models people in my experience assume that oh it's going to be role models to to give boys and men the message that don't be abusive give girls respect i'm not sure that that, you know that might be part of what a role model does but when that role model's identity and, and mission if you like is centered just around 
make boys better, don't let them become perpetrators. I'm not always sure that that's a role model that's giving the right message. Right. Like that, that, that sense of, of love and respect for the opposite sex comes when you um, encourage young boys to take responsibility and ownership and accountability over their life then they they become these people these capable competent people and they ultimately then have respect and want to protect and provide for the the women or the whatever partner in their life is and i think that's where it comes from you don't have to tell them hey don't be abusive like okay but we can inherently learn that over time if we have love and respect for for women the same way women can have love and respect for us then we sort of grow and develop you know together yeah so absolutely but um, one more question to ask you: um, okay. what what was the what's been the feedback um, from your book? Positive, negative, somewhere in between? Uh, I haven't. I'm I'm quite surprised actually. I did expect some negative. So far, I haven't had any negative feedback. The only slightly maybe critical feedback was about the front cover because the, the the stick figure on the front cover looks a little bit sort of miserable and depressed with his with his with his stance. And someone should have said it might have been good if it could have been a more positive. Uh, you know, which is, I guess, fair enough. Uh, it's done now, so that's that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but apart from that, there hasn't really been anything critical. It's, it's not been out that long. There's been uh, one review of it so far, and it's been a five star review, and that's been quite positive. So that's quite nice. Um, but uh, it's still early days. But the anecdotal uh, feedback that people have been telling me uh, is that it's been really useful. They really, really like it. Uh, they like the fact that a lot of the points I've made are referenced by lots of literature. Uh, and um, yeah, that that that's been really good. Uh, and I think a couple of people have said just the idea that archetypal masculinity can be used to help boys and men overcome abuse just seems so radical but really eye-opening and so it's getting people to think um but that's it it's early days i'm pretty sure at some point there will be some horrible vicious nasty hatred as as you know something that that focuses on just boys and men can sadly often bring but you know i i'll i'll either roll with the punches i'll just ignore it so uh, but so far generally positive that's fantastic um and if you listen to this conversation and you enjoyed it and you want more Click the link below in the show notes. Um, the book is available for purchase. But um, what's next for you, Phil? Same same type of work or you got anything else on the horizon? Uh, well, I'm looking forward to having two and a half weeks off over Christmas. So I've never I've never, ever taken two and a half weeks off over Christmas ever. And so I'm doing it this year. I'm doing some proper stop, relax, chill. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be doing um, over Christmas and just watching uh, rubbish telly and probably too much like many people will do. Um, I guess so. I am. Uh, it's early days, but uh, um, uh, a colleague, if you like, if that's the right word to use, and I are working on. Will will be working maybe in the new year on a on a sort of work making a short video that will um highlight how we can use elements of archetypal masculinity and male friendly methods to engage boys and men in therapy. Uh, and that will be a sort of short video saying this is how you do it in what you might call a traditional therapeutic way. This is a way that makes use of archetypal masculinity. So that's going to be like a visual way to know oh, yeah, we can do that. And that's something to 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 think about. Um, yeah, there's a few things I'm, I'm doing some training um, in my home city in 
uh, a few weeks time uh, sorry in a few months time at the end of february uh, it's a two-day training course that will highlight how to identify boys at risk of sexual abuse and the second day we'll look at how we engage them in in understanding it and supporting them and again that will touch on what we've we've talked about today about male friendly methods archetypal masculinity changing your language for boys and men uh i have a i suppose you'd call it a book launch i mean i haven't called it that but somebody else has so the um yeah the the, the guys i'm doing this event with i have called it a book launch so on the 10th of january um six till seven in the evening uk time it's a book launch. So basically uh, uh, a colleague is reading my book and he will ask me questions about it. And I'll talk about the book in a bit more detail and that's online. It's free or pay as you feel. And it's um, on the 10th of January next year. And that's, um, you know, I can send people the link or whatever and all of that. That's, that's there. Um, and um, yeah, I've got a few blogs and articles that I'm going to write one for the um, center for male psychology and I've got another one coming up as well, which is just a short blog, just again, male friendly methods and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, that that's me for now. And I've got a few training events booked next year. I'm going to Bristol, which is in the sort of southwest of our country to, to deliver some training. I've just finished doing some uh, webinars with the RAF here. So lots of things keeping me busy. All good. Um, and of course, my day to day work, which is working with boys and men in therapy and on a one to one basis and, and doing all that sort of stuff as well. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate the work you're doing. Um, it's had an impact on me and I'm sure it's having an impact on a ton of people. So thanks for your time and attention today, uh, Phil, and uh, talk to you soon, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Phil Mitchell. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply that you could potentially talk about more or implement into your life today? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporter via Patreon. Patreon.com slash Aaron Mashbits directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. But most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others, and I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.